0: Welcome to episode 158 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this special episode, we look in depth at the greatest rivalries in rugby league. In volume two of this series entitled The Greatest Rivalries, we take a look at the rivalry that threatened to destroy the game of rugby league, the ARL versus Super League. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 158 of the Rugby League Republic podcast where we aim to bring you the everyday fans perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people and this is volume two of our new series, The Greatest Rivalries and we have a really special one for you. We will be taking a closer look at the ARL versus Super League war. Now we are recording this in uh, towards the end of April in 2020 and uh, it is uh, a good 25 years uh, to the month since uh, the Super League war, as it's now become known, ha- basically exploded. Uh, we're going to talk all about it. And, uh, and and basically, yeah, we're remembering it's been 25 very long years since, uh, since that great war, uh, the great schism of rugby league. The second great schism, the first one being the break off from uh, rugby union. Uh, Look, just a reminder, the format of this series will be very familiar to listeners of the Rugby League Republic podcast. We're going to go through our set of six tackles, but this time we're going to focus on, I guess, six particular aspects of the rivalry we're investigating. Uh, We might be doing things like talking about the beginnings, uh, our own experiences of the rivalry, what makes this rivalry great, what legacy has this rivalry left behind, and what does the future hold for this rivalry. So, Tish, uh, a big one in store. So, Let's get into it, shall we? Without any further ado, let's get into tackle number one, the beginnings. All right, so the beginnings. Firstly, we're going to take a look at all of the events that led to the ARL and uh, Super League split. So uh, uh, let's take you back to 9th of April, 1992, uh, and there was a document called A Blueprint for the Expansion of Rugby League. It was tabled by the Premiership Policy Committee of the New South Wales Rugby League. Uh, and it followed. It was followed in August by an organisation reviewed by Dr G. Bradley, which was distributed to the premiership clubs. So that report has now become known as the Bradley Report. And it's actually central. It was central to the ARL replacing the New South Wales Rugby League as a governing body Of the premiership, and one of the really key things that that report concluded was that in order for the uh, in order for us to reduce the number of clubs in Sydney, uh, it would be very hard for the league to implement, given that the long playing traditions of some of those clubs. However, in the long term, I'm just paraphrasing here. It is likely that Sydney is not going to be able to support eleven clubs as it was then, as it does uh, at the moment. So. So in the long term, this is the only viable solution. This is what was proposed. Sydney-based clubs are going to have to move to new areas, merge or be relegated from the league. This is going to be a painful process. And this is what Bradley said. In the long term, I believe that the ARL should be looking to reduce the number of clubs in the national competition to 14, thus allowing clubs to play two complete rounds. This will mean, assuming that only four new clubs are admitted from areas outside Sydney, that there will be only five clubs based in Sydney. So that was the Bradley Report in 1992, which, you know, we've been talking about this ever since, Tish, you know, the the issue about Mm. uh, expanding to new areas, merging teams or just cutting teams. Uh, So even back then, this was – don't forget, this was hot on the heels of – of you know the Green Machine's first few premierships, uh, you know we only just talked about recently the eighty nine premiership. It also won in ninety, and then with Penrith in ninety one. Then all of a sudden in ninety two, uh, there was talk about the expansion of the league. You know, obviously the expansion era had uh, come in full force in rugby league, and so uh, this was a, a pretty big thing to be talking about expansion, but at the same time saying, look, we've got too many Sydney clubs. When, in fact, up until then, Sydney clubs were all people had known up until only a few years earlier. So that a pretty, pretty bold move uh, to start those conversations at that point in time. But that's what happened. So moving forward to 93. And so um, uh, Broncos CEO, Brisbane Broncos CEO, John Rebo, put forward a proposal to play the grand final in Brisbane. And so Brisbane's ANZ Stadium, which was a venue for the 1982 Commonwealth Games, uh, obviously a much bigger stadium uh, than the biggest one in Sydney at the time, which was a Sydney football stadium. In fact, it held 20,000 more people. Um, and now that the Broncos, uh, you know, had started winning premierships, so they'd only won their first premiership the year before in 92, um, Rebo kind of proposed that, look, we should move the grand final to Brisbane uh, in anticipation of the fact that we're going to have higher attendance there. Obviously, Brisbane was riding the success wave very high at the time. And not only that, the, the suggestion was at the time to play the game at night to maximise television ratings and profits. So there was John Rebo back, back then uh, thinking about profits and building on the success of the Broncos. And obviously, as an inaugural uh, you know, premiership-winning Brisbane Broncos CEO, he had every right to be kind of uh, positive about that and bring forward that idea. So let's move on to May 94. So Rebo took it a bit further and discussed uh, with some of the clubs the possibility of a hypothetical new competition with higher salaries. So this is kind of where it started Uh, So the structure of an alternate rugby league competition was outlined in an internal news limited document entitled Super League, one word, on the 12th of August, 1994. And the objective was basically to form a news owned company called Super League Limited. And it's basically to establish an, an elite Australasian rugby league comp with 12 privately owned teams, four of which would be owned completely by news. Uh, there would be an internationally televised World Club Series with clubs from Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Uh, obviously, revenue would be uh, derived from sponsorship, free-to-air and pay-TV ratings, and gate takings and merchandising, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And one objective of the proposal was, uh, quote, to ensure that no other competition could exist in competition to Super League. So, uh, you know, accordingly, it was considered necessary to have at least four teams based in Sydney to maintain the game's large base. So here are are the steps that that were outlined to ensure that outcome. They wanted to, first of all, approach four continuing teams, that was Brisbane, Canberra, Newcastle and Auckland, to secure a seven-year commitment. Then they were going to meet with the ARL uh, to basically offer concessions such as, Allowing the ARL to conduct tests and retain profits from those matches, uh, the ARL was also going to be granted, uh, given a grant to promote the game. They were going to meet at short notice with the representatives of the eleven clubs and Illawarra, uh, so the eleven Sydney clubs and Illawarra, and offer a share in a team. So this was kind of going to be, you know, a new, new franchises, so to speak, uh, of Sydney clubs, where the existing clubs were to be part owners of these new clubs in an elite competition and then they were going to announce that the super league was happening and to explain its structure and then they were going to deal with other clubs not included in those arrangements such as the south queensland crushes so really you know we're talking at that time so 12th of august 94 is when uh you know the blueprint i guess for the uh the the super league competition which was basically going to come on top of of, of the ARL, uh, as it was then known, competition, which was, again, riding high. It was in an expansionist era, of successful expansion era. And here was News Limited, a, uh, a news organisation, a media conglomerate, international media organisation coming in saying, we want to basically own a new elite competition that sits on top of, of uh, the existing competition that you've got uh, and basically the Sydney portion of it was going to be, well, it was quite frankly, looks like it was going to destroy the history of all those Sydney clubs. Uh, so that, that's basically what it looked like as an outsider. Um, moving on to, uh, the 17th of October, 94 and, uh, basically the board of the ARL resolved to hold a special board meeting to discuss, Several issues, including Super League, and again the main issue, which was the reduction in the number of Sydney teams. And I think that's putting it politely, because I think from what the blueprint stated, it looked like they were going to destroy all the Sydney teams and and have kind of a franchise-led approach uh, where where part ownerships were going to occur. So that was uh, uh, that that basically happened. And look, three days after that, so twentieth of uh, October ninety four, ARL chairman Ken Arthurson warned the Brisbane Broncos that they faced expulsion over their involvement with Super League. And obviously that would be uh, John Rebo's kind of uh, uh, doing as, as well there. Uh, and his part, the part that he played in that. Um, and, uh, and here Arco basically reiterated in the media uh, and I quote, the league has the right, as you all know, to deny admission to any team in the Winfield cup. So think about this, uh, you know, some pretty fighting words there uh, with, you know, with the threat of a media company overtaking the elite competition of rugby league, the biggest competition in the world, which has been on a high and has been growing from strength to strength in the mid-90s. Um, and, and look, uh, at that time, uh, you know, Let's move on. Basically, so at that time, that's when they started discussing uh, the idea of loyalty agreements with uh, with the clubs. So that's when that happened. Uh, then fast forward a little bit more to tenth of November nineteen ninety four, and there was a meeting held between uh, uh, Arthurson, John Quayle, Cowley, and Graham Lovett at the ho- at the offices of News Limited on uh, on that date, uh, and basically. Uh, After querying the rumours of a breakaway competition, Arthurson was informed by Cowley that News would like to see a 12-team competition with or without the ARL and that News was seeking a slice of the television cake. So really, uh, really, Tish, this is, uh, I guess, this is the crux of it. Uh, I'm just going to pause there in the little chronology and just get your (laughs) thoughts about, look, uh, look, uh, it's hard to remember and to cast your mind back to that time, but... uh, it's pretty clear to see now, looking back at some of the quotes from uh, in the media around uh, what you know, from the head of the ARL and the head of News Limited in Australia, what what they were really all about. They wanted to get in there and get a slice of uh, television rights, basically. Uh, and that is that the way you see it as well. That that's what it shaped up as, anyway.
1: Yeah. Look, ultimately. Um, this war that we're talking about—I know we've called it rivalries—but it was actually a war. Um, the real war was was actually a battle for television rights. So this is a, a TV war uh, as much as it is a rugby league war. And um, look, you've you've outlined some really key points here, Doctor T. I really ad- admire some of the research you've done into this. is actually absolutely fantastic. But um, look, I think we, we also got to go back. You know, in the nineteen eighties, rugby league, um, you know, went you know, evolved in a, in a massive way. And, you know, it, it was, uh, uh, you know, it was mostly, you know, at the start of the 80s, um, it was pretty much all Sydney teams, right? Um, Illawarra and the and Canberra came in in 1982. So during the 80s is when they expanded outside of, of Sydney. Um, and then later on, that's when we went to Queensland with the Gold Coast as well as Brisbane. Um, you know, and that was all the expansion that was happening. So, um, And also, look, let's not forget that, you know, in 1993, there was also another vulnerable set of uh, stakeholders in the league, and that is the players, because the players uh, had just gone through a battle uh, over the draft system as well, which um, the, the, uh, well, the uh, New South Wales Rugby League were looking to implement. So there were all these factors coming in, and then you had, as you said, a television company, News Limited. Let's say a media company because they also own newspapers and and so forth. And uh, they had uh, Foxtel was about to launch, and Foxtel was, you know, a, a pay television service. One of the very, uh, you know, the pioneers of. Uh, I think there was Galaxy and maybe one or two before that, but but essentially it was, uh, you know, uh, that was all starting to happen. And then um, at that time, rugby league was being broadcast on Channel 9 in 1993, I think. And I believe that Kerry Packer had a an agreement till uh, Kerry Packer, the owner of Channel 9, had an agreement till the, the year 2000 to broadcast Rugby League and uh, News Limited won that in Foxtel. And I think um, as much as they talk about, um, you know, how this is going to expand, there really, actually, there isn't really much in there other than money, <laughs> you know, like they're not really talking about the good of the game, the good of the fans. There's None of that is actually captured by any of the statements they're talking about. All they're talking about is is basically, uh, you know, they're, they're basically talking about rugby league in terms of as a business rather than as a sport. And I think, uh, you know, in many ways I kind of feel the Super League war is the, uh, is the separation between BC and AD in time uh, it's kind of what happened before Super League is completely different to what happened after Super League. So uh, carry on there, Doctor T.
0: Yeah, look, thanks for that. Look, I, I I agree with your your sentiment there. I think uh, you know at that time again we're pausing in history, and, and I'm still talking about just the beginnings of this because it really is crucial yep. to understand what how it all led to this, uh, how mm. it all led to the war because it wasn't just didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, I believe I recall um, that actually Channel Nine had only just gotten the rights a few years earlier, and and really like in terms of television in in Australia. Um, prior to that, I think uh, I think it was I remember seeing I think it was Channel Ten that owned, owned yeah. the rights at one point, and it was split over. You know, ABC had some rights as well. So uh, really, it was really early '90s when the expansionist era really opened up the game. to to new areas and let's not forget it wasn't it all this didn't come at a time when you could look at the administrators of the game and say you guys have been doing a dud job please let us take over uh it was none of that at all because at that time you know ken arthurson john Quayle, these were very much uh well respected administrators uh, you know, they had done so much to grow the game. You know, we're talking about some of the, even now we'd still talk about, say, the, you know, the Tina Turner ad campaigns and all that kind of stuff. Um, and let's not forget at the time, the the gradual kind of expansion was successful. I mean, we're talking about, yeah. uh, you know, Canberra had become the green machine. I mean, mm. you know, the first non-Sydney team to win the New South Wales Rugby League Premiership. Uh, You know, we're talking as well at this point in time that we just paused, we're talking about the Brisbane Broncos winning for the first time. You know, that was a big feat to bring them into the game as well. Newcastle Knights were brought in in 88 at the same time as the Brisbane Broncos. Um, And we're literally a year at this point, a year away from the biggest expansion in the history of rugby league, uh, you know, I guess in the modern era which we're talking about the the great expansion of 95 where we had four teams brought in at the one time, taking yeah. uh, the premiership to 20 teams from 16 to 20. Uh, it's never been as big as, as it has been uh, since then. Uh, and oh, actually, sorry, it was a little bit bigger when the split, but but let's in terms yeah. of a single yeah. competition, we had 20 teams. Yeah. And those teams were North Queensland Cowboys, still around, In fact, premiership winners as of a few years ago. Um, Auckland Warriors, who are now called the New Zealand Warriors, unfortunately still haven't won a premiership, but have been so integral to uh, the resurgence of rugby league in New Zealand. And then we had the Western Reds uh, in Perth. And then we also had uh, the South Queensland Crushers, uh, which was the second Brisbane team. So again... In that context, that, that competition hadn't started yet and there was already rumblings about a rebel competition. So
1: yeah, let's unpause this. T- oh, sorry, you go ahead and then I'll, I'll continue. Oh, sorry, sorry, just just one final point. So you mentioned the South Queensland uh, crushes. Uh, they are an unfortunate victim to this, but, um, you know, one of the biggest, uh, you know, sort of, in the Super League, one of the biggest supporters was the Brisbane Broncos. And having another team in Brisbane uh, was a big deal for them. So um, it wasn't as just... Th- as in a threat, a threat. As in a threat, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, we could talk about that how that still hasn't happened, the second team in Queensland, but uh, in Brisbane. But uh, move on there, Dr. T yeah and there are many reasons for that and no, no doubt as you
0: said the this is where the game uh, grew into a business more than anything yeah. and the people who were behind it no doubt were motivated by the business kind of side of things as opposed to what's good for the game uh, at least that was uh, the charge leveled against them by many people so let's unpause let's continue on so the 13th of december 94 Uh, News Limited began developing the Super League proposal for presentation to the ARL and its clubs. And the final draft of that was presented to news representatives on the 13th of uh, December. It concluded that the economics of an Australian Super League were attractive. And uh, there were three strategies that that were identified for its implementation. The first was the establishment approach in which a uh, proposal would be presented to the ARL followed by negotiations to make it happen, basically. Um, And uh, and there were risks that were identified, obviously with uh, Kerry Packer there, uh, with the Channel 9 uh, sort of side of things as well, would would be a risk to that. The second approach was an early defection approach where uh, exclusive and reciprocal obligations to news uh, after a proposal would be made. Uh, and only if the ARL responded favourably, then the news would use then the first strategy of establishment. So, uh, you know, a bit of a slightly different approach. And then this was the final approach. The rebel approach involved news manoeuvring with stakeholders to strengthen its position, signing up key clubs on confidentially, confidentiality agreements and then securing the agreement of the ARL and unsigned clubs. So really... You know, that third approach, which is where they ended up going, spoiler alert for everyone who doesn't know what happened, <laughs> is basically yeah. they ended up going, uh, it was a clandestine kind of approach. They, you know, all backroom, backdoor dealings. Uh, and uh, the idea was to sign, uh, to sign teams, to sign players and to basically force the ARL's hand. And, uh, you know, we'll get to that very shortly Um but basically, and the, the proposed structure was going to be twelve fully professional teams, as I said. The existing twenty clubs to remain, fielding teams in first division competitions in New South Wales, Queensland, ACT. News would be the shareholders in would be shareholders in the 12 Super League teams. The ARL will continue as a governing body for rugby league and retaining responsibility for test matches. Uh, and news will be responsible for promoting rugby league nationally and internationally and providing finance. So the approach there was that this was going to be basically the game, uh, the control of that the ARL had of the game will be drastically reduced to not the premier competition, but basically the second tier competition and international matches, um, and uh, and that News Limited will be there to basically look to basically do the promoting of the game and to provide finances. Now, anyone would look at that proposal and would say. So you just basically want to take control of everything and the finances, and and we are to trust you that you're going to make decisions in the right interests of the game. And quite rightly, um, the approach from the ARL and from Arthurson in particular was that that proposal was totally unacceptable, and he reiterated that uh, you know that that there would be consequences for clubs that would um, sign on to any agreement with uh, with this new organisation. Um, in 20 on the 22nd of December, 1994. So, you know, just before Christmas, bit of an early Christmas present news limited sent five clubs, a document entitled super league confidentiality deed. And those clubs were Brisbane, Canberra, Newcastle, Cronulla, and the Western Reds. And the purpose of that document was to obtain feedback from those, those clubs with a view to making small adjustments prior to a full presentation to the ARL in February. Uh, Fast forward to twenty fifth of Jan nineteen ninety five, and uh, uh, basically a news uh, ACP had provided news with a report entitled Super League Options that identified uh, the current proposal as News Super League via Club slash ARL. Again, uh, not the best kind of sub uh, title of a document. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're looking at doing things uh, in a dodgy way, that kind of tells you everything about what they wanted to do to relegate the role of the ARL and control of the game. Uh, 30th of Jan, 95, uh, fast forward a little bit more, news presented its proposal to the ARL. And as I said, the key points were 12-team competition, Uh, with a worldwide audience of tens or even hundreds of millions, the existing 20-team competition would continue, along with the ARL's pivotal role in administering the game. The ARL would run the state competition and test matches, I guess that means state of origin, and be responsible for the judiciary, referees, and junior development. Uh, The existing 20 clubs would be shareholders in the licensed, privately-owned Super League teams, thus eliminating any breach of players' contracts. The 20 Club competition would be the breeding ground for the stars of the future, is what they promised. And the franchises would be based in Sydney, four of them, Queensland, two of them, Newcastle, Canberra, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, and Auckland, one each. Uh, and obviously the, the the main component of that was that Super League would uh, basically uh, own Rugby League through the global media network of News Limited. Uh, which would allow it to then invest $100 million in the game of rugby league. So it did kind of put a carrot forward, which is we're going to put lots of money in. But the flip side is we're going to need to control the rights, the television rights and everything for the this premier competition, which we're then going to sell all around the world, uh, which will then give us the money to allow us to reinvest in the game. So obviously it was a profit motive there because uh, it was all about, uh, you know, I don't know if they actually put the numbers forward. A lot of the the discussion at that point was about the promise of, you know, the possibility of this Super League and where it would go, uh, you know, and we'll get into that later as well. So, as I said, this Super League proposal was an alternative to the existing ARL plan of a 14-team competition, which was outlined uh, in the Bradley report, which I talked about at the top of this, uh, which the ARL was already in the process of eliminating. So they were already in the process of, uh, you know, what was was the word that they used at the time? (laughs) Rationalisation. Rationalisation of the clubs, which basically is a nice way of saying cutting clubs, <laughs> you know, whether it's <laughs> via merging or whatever, it really was about cutting clubs and finding a way to do it so that they went from the 20 teams to the 14 teams. Now, keep in mind, the the ARL itself was also sending mixed messages because at the same time that did it, it was expanding to 20 teams, which, you know, I remember at the time it was kind of a very, it was a very huge deal. It was like I was, I was really genuinely excited for the yeah. game and what it was going to do. Um, but at the same time, in the background was this Bradley report, which for a couple of years had been in existence, which uh, basically suggested, look, we have to reduce. This is not sustainable. We have to reduce the number of Sydney teams. So the, there was a, a bit of mixed messages there because, on the one hand, you're expanding, on the other hand, you're also making plans to eventually rationalise the games. So I guess, I guess the ARL would be a bit like the, uh, uh, a bit like the quantum uh, quantum physics there of uh the the quantum mechanics the quantum physics of the the big bang explosion and then the contraction and the cooling of the rationalization (laughs) of the games of the game so really that's if that's what they were doing i can see why people were a bit confused but uh uh look we're almost there to 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 really the crux of this so fast forward uh arrow obviously when this happened started to get a bit antsy and uh and then they started to uh, to tell the clubs, look, you need to sign a essentially what was called a loyalty deed, um, where basically they said, look, the league will view the failure of any club to sign and return the deed by the deadline as an act of gross disloyalty. Uh, obviously... The other thing that happened was the, which we're not really going to get into because it would it would take another ten podcast episodes to talk about it. But the, lit, <laughs> the litigation that came out of this, the lawyers mm. that got oh, yes. uh, got fat out of this and uh, and rich out of this, uh, quite rightly pointed out that the coercive approach. Of the ARL uh, in signing this legal, in getting the clubs to sign the legal agreement, was later ruled in breach of the Trade Practices Act. So that was a, a bit of a downer from their perspective. That they were so panicked by what was going on, that they really just wanted all the clubs to uh, sign on the dotted line to say that they weren't going to uh, basically uh, jump jump ship across to the Super League, um, and look. By the 14th of March 1995, the Premiership Policy Committee unanimously agreed that the future structure of the Winfield Cup competition should contain fewer Sydney clubs uh, and that the board should convene as soon as possible to demonstrate leadership on the issue of fewer Sydney clubs. Fast forward to 15th of March and a meeting took place between Ken Cowley and Ken Arthurston, the two Kens, and uh, the minutes of the arrows board meeting of the 24th of March record that Arthurston's report of that discussion was that the discussion was cordial and Cowley assured him that news would be still pursuing the principle of Super League, but had given an assurance that any proposals in respect of its establishment would be made directly to the ARL and not to the clubs. So basically Ken Arthurson, uh, according to, to his report back to the clubs, took it at face value that Ken Cowley was, uh, was going to have any direct negotiations with the ARL and not with the clubs directly. So, uh, two days after the that uh, uh, yeah, as I said, so that that's basically what Ken Arthur said. 23rd of March 1995, a meeting took place within News Limited. Uh, Cowley uh, and Rebo and Smith, uh, together with News Limited owner Rupert Murdoch, were at that meeting, and this is where they uh, really planned and plotted the downfall of the empire, because uh, they they weren't. They weren't happy uh, with uh, with what had transpired. They had approached clubs, the ARL's heavy-handed tactics to uh, threaten clubs with expulsion if they didn't sign on loyalty, uh, the loyalty deeds uh, basically according to them uh, had spooked the club officials. So what they needed to do, they uh, they ascertained at that meeting was uh, basically to set up a competition, uh in 97 if they were going to do that or even in 96 it was uh that they needed to be much more aggressive and uh and in order to do that they needed to basically sign up the players required uh at approximately twice their current earnings <laughs> they were then going to mount a challenge to the five-year agreement binding by the club so a legal challenge and then they were going to credibly mount a rival Super League without the ARL establishment, even though the best outcome was for the ARL to cooperate. So at this point, uh, they went full rebel. And they decided that uh, the the approach that they had taken to basically go to the ARL and put a proposal together, which had been rejected, uh, and obviously started scaring the ARL establishment, wasn't going to be enough. And they decided to uh, basically... Plan in what was now known as uh, a war room, in uh, within News Limited headquarters, uh, uh, which basically uh, where where they basically planned what they were going to do, how they were going to approach players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So Tish, that's the lead up to all that, and uh, I think should we should
1: we start with tackle two because this is where the war really begins. So let's okay, start well, with, just before you do, just, yeah, just before you do, just just to also. Uh, just to throw something else in there that was happening while all this was happening is that um, you know if you notice the dates that we're sort of going through 23rd of March the the you know 1995 the season had already started so in 1994 canberra obviously beat the Bulldogs in the grand final was an epic grand final you know and now in 95 the season has begun um you know players are playing in the you know in the inaugural 20-year, Twenty-team competition, which um, and I think this is the first uh, ARL year, isn't it? Because I think yeah, in '94 we were still the New South Wales Rugby League. So the ARL, uh, yeah, the ARL's first season, sort of in business. Um, players are playing; they're playing against each other. And I think to the ca- to to most fans out there uh, supporting their club. As much as I knew that there was some political animosity going on with clubs and all that in the background, I don't think for the vast majority of them, it really had an impact on um, on their rugby league fandom. I don't think that uh, aspect of the war had truly begun yet, but we're about to get there, aren't
0: we? We are about. So this is uh, tackle number two.
1: All right, the war begins. And so, on the
0: first of April, nineteen ninety-five, uh, April Fool's Day. <laughs> this is when it all came to a head. So up until now, a lot of this had been backroom dealing, and nothing really uh, came came out to the public. There was a lot of rumours. I remember at the time, but really, on the first of April is when the announcement started coming in that there was going to be uh, uh, basically that a rebel Super League was. Uh, the news limited was making moves to create this new Rebel Super League. Um, Hot on the heels of the board of the hour meeting at 12 noon on that date, the 1st of April, 95, to discuss this Super League situation. Uh, You know, there were three representatives of uh, of basically uh, Kerry Packer's parent company, PBL, two from Optus, Optus Vision as well. So all the TV rights holders were there. Um, And basically... Uh, the board resolved uh, a couple of things or three things Uh, that Canterbury, Bankstown, Cronulla and Canberra were requested to show cause why they should be, should not be excluded from the competition. So basically straight away, it was we're going to sack these three clubs and exclude them from the competition unless they show us a good reason. So that's, I don't think that's, that had ever really occurred in such a major way in, in rugby league history uh, at least in my lifetime. So That was a huge news in itself. Um, They were then going to establish a committee to identify and sign players to league agreements. So that's in response to the Super League having already signed a bunch of players as well. Um, And then uh, Mr. Leckie, who represented PBL and Optus Vision, would be appointed as director of the league. So a lot of changes in the the leadership were happening at that time. And one of the key ones, I think, and I guess this what we saw with the super league was uh, a lot of friendships broken. And one of the saddest things was uh, Peter Brulfrog Moore, who was a director of the league uh, and the ARL, as well as being the director and chief executive of Canterbury Bankstown, uh, basically offered his resignation and uh, resigned basically from the league and the ARL. So Mr. Leckie was there to replace uh, Peter Moore. Uh, Pretty sad at the time uh, that that was kind of, uh, you know, he was considered a great administrator and, uh, you know, one of the forward thinkers in the game. And and here he was kind of, uh, you know, friendships were starting to be frayed and and destroyed. Um, At that time, uh, a total of 307 players and 10 coaches had entered into Super League contracts. Contracts, Uh, So what ensued with this war was basically a... uh, a free for all, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of backroom <laughs> dealings, a lot of open and closed meetings to sign up players to obscene amounts of money. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, there was a lot of, it won't go into it, but a lot of kind of legal, legal uh, doings, contracts that were canceled players who had contracts canceled after going to the new South Wales industrial uh, relations commission. And uh, you know, so at the date of, uh, yeah, so basically we had uh, 300, at least 300 players signed to Super League contracts. Um, and, and and let me see, the, the public were told that 42 of the 300 contract players had signed on or prior to 2 April 1995. Uh, so it was basically on that day, 1st of April, which I count as the start of the war. That's when the war actually started, I, I would say, uh, the league and the announced it would be signing players in competition with Super League. So, so you know, every April Fool's Day, ladies and gentlemen, uh, don't just think of pranking someone. Think about what it was like to be a rugby league fan, a kid yep. as I was, uh, yes. watching the sport that I loved and seeing uh, the administrators come out and saying uh, there's been a threat of a rebel competition. So the, the game that we loved was being torn apart I remember looking at the TV, going, "Is this a prank? Is this April Fool's? Yeah. It is April Fool's Day." And I remember thinking, uh, "Guys, it doesn't count if it's after midday." You realize that, right? Like you can't prank mm. us. Isn't the rule you got to prank them before midday? But anyway, so I yeah. remember at the time thinking this is uh, is uh, pretty bad. But just just very quickly, uh, following that, um, you know, News Limited came to the support of the Canberra Raiders and said, "We'll support you in any legal uh, interactions with the ARL." Uh, you know, hot on the heels of that major announcement on the 1st of April, News Limited went even further and signed the Rugby Football League in the UK and the New Zealand Rugby League to their uh, – <laughs> so they basically shored up the main international competition to Australia and basically yep. isolated the ARL and its clubs uh, to, you know, uh, yeah, basically surrounding it, um, just as you would in war. Like, it was very much mm. a war-like scenario. Um, the way they went about signing players in, in secret, um, signing organisations in secret and doing it uh, within the space of days, really suggesting to you that they had already, they had definitely planned this. They had their lawyers draw up the agreements and things that were watertight um, and it was such a shame. And then fast forward slightly a bit more to the 20th of April and by then, so in a space of 20 days, we had had seven clubs that were signed to Super League the Auckland Warriors, Brisbane Broncos, Canberra Raiders, Canterbury Bulldogs, Cronulla Sharks, North Queensland Cowboys and the Western Reds and eventually Penrith signed on the 3rd of May. And uh, the new competition uh, was was basically going to include eventually in the following year the Adelaide Rams and the Hunter Mariners as well uh, as those eight teams that we just mentioned. So, um, yeah, basically, uh, look... That's the that's how the war started, <laughs> and uh, you know the month of April, 1995, uh, a radical seismic shift in the world of rugby league. Uh, Tish, take me back to that time. Do you remember? You know, people will talk about where where they were when JFK died, or where they were when the the the, te- the planes hit the World Trade Center. But look, where were you when you heard about this? Uh, the announcement of of the rebel Super League competition. Do you remember? Okay, well.
1: Well, look, I, I do remember because I was uh, I was uh, in year seven, I think. Uh, so I was probably at home uh, <laughs> seeing it on the news. <laughs> um, you know, but but what I do remember about um, all of this is actually uh, my junior rugby league club because I was playing rugby league in those days. And you know, I'm from uh, Western Sydney. That's where I grew up. And in Western Sydney, you, what you have. Um, is that you have lots of people moving around in Western Sydney. So you do have, um, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, North Queensland uh, where everybody in the town goes to North Queensland sort of thing. Uh, In Western Sydney, you've got, um, because the clubs are so close, you have lots of, um, you know, kids who support different teams and you also have lots of kids moving into the area from other areas who, you know, if you had a kid that came up from Canberra, you know, they'd be cheering on Canberra. You know, if you had a team... You know, if you had a kid who sort of, you know, was born in the Balmain era but moved out west, they'd be going for Balmain, you know. So we all had different clubs that we'd go to. And I just remember my footy team, um, there wasn't a fight as such, but there was a, you know, if there was a bit of a, you know, us versus them happening with the kids because you're like, you know, oh, you know, my my club who I support is going for Super League or well, my club is... Uh, you know, my club is the Bulldogs, and I go for the Bulldogs, and I'm like, ah, oh, well, I'm an NRL, ARL guy, because I, you know, I go for the Tigers sort of thing. So I just remember that um, even amongst fans, it was just, uh, you know, kind of it kind of made uh, made things a little awkward when you talked about rugby league. You know, you'd be friends about everything else, uh, but you know, when it came to rugby league, nobody really wanted to talk about rugby league because it was it was a bit of a, you know, it was kind of a nasty sort of situation as as kids sort of thing. And then on top of all of that, uh, I think also there was this real thing that, hey, you know, not only do you love rugby league, um, but you love to watch it as well, as well as play it. And you think, what's going to happen in 1996? Like, is there going to be rugby league on? It, we all knew it was going to be on, but how is it going to look? You know, there's going to be two competitions. Where is, you know, where is it going to happen? And, you know, another thing that came on to our minds was that um, – When you were a rugby league, junior rugby league player, you used to get this little uh, card that was like your New South Wales rugby league card. And um, that allowed you to get get into games for free. And uh, I think we were all like thinking, well, are these cards going to work for Super League games? (laughs) (laughs) Like, we didn't know. So, it's all about so, the practical a, things when you're a kid, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is kind of a little bit. So, yeah. So, how about yourself, Dr. T? How was your experience when all this was happening?
0: Look, uh, yeah, look, yeah, thanks, Teach, for bringing it back to, like, really a practical point of view because, yeah, like, I was uh, – I think I was at, definitely in high school at the time and, uh, uh, you know, I was – I think I think at the time I was probably towards the end of my high school in days but um but yeah I look from my perspective it was we talked about in our first uh episode of our first volume shall I say of the greatest rivalries the eels versus bulldogs rivalry well let me tell you the uh, super league war really yeah. uh, really rammed rammed at home that that war between the eels and the Bulldogs cause, uh mm. at school I remember. You know, you're right. There was a total discussion around, you know, what traitors the Bulldogs were <laughs> to the game. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, yes, okay, the Eels weren't as good anymore as what they used to be, but uh, at least we weren't traitors to the game. At least we kind of uh, stuck by the other teams, etc. cetera. So there was this whole thing about, you know, the loyalty of uh, staying with the ARL versus the Rebel, uh, you know, the Super League. And really, it, became, it really boiled down to... Uh, in many ways, there were a lot of existential discussions about the role of money in sport, the 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 values, really was a values led split in many ways. and to me to me, that was what this was all about. It was do you stick loyal to the game? Uh, and and acknowledging that what the super League was trying to do was ultimately something that needed to be addressed. But the way they were going to go about it was totally going to destroy the history and the traditions of the game. So really, this became a values, you know, a line in the sand between mm. were you a loyal traditionalist or were you a modern kind of forward-looking, uh, you know, Person. business-oriented, mm. innovative, you know, you could almost… capitalists. Capital, you know, you could almost draw the line in. You know, are you, are you for the queen or against the queen? You know, like is it? Oh, it's well, you know, that was going on as well, wasn't it? it we was had really, the Republican debate. That's right, and so a lot <laughs> of this stuff. This is this is why. Look, I know that a lot of people, uh, you know, forget that, but I I definitely remember that 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 a lot of what really counts as a great rivalry for us is, is about. You know, is it a values-based kind of rivalry, and uh, you know, and we'll talk about others in future, no doubt. And you know, you, you've heard about things like the Fibros versus mm. Silvertails, no doubt. That is one of the ones we're gonna we're gonna do in future. Um, yeah, but again, that's more than just a you know this side of the bridge versus that side of the bridge. Like it's an actual divide where people yeah. really get rooted in their values and uh, and and really uh, you know it really drives a lot of the discussion. So um, yeah. in my mind, I remember thinking, look, I I was definitely on the ARL side, not just because of the Paramount Eels, but, but also I sort of thought, look, you haven't even given this competition a chance, the expanded competition, a chance to do anything yet. And you're yeah. already destroying it. You're destroying these clubs that have built the game to where it is. Now, to me, there was that other underlying debate going on about letting natural attrition take its course, like the like evolution. Like people started to become very much root <laughs> discussing things in kind of evolutionary terms, and like you know, eventually the smaller clubs, like Western Suburbs Magpies, they'll run out of funding. They'll you know, they don't have support anyway. They're going to die anyway. Uh, that's the way mm. the whole game is evolving. The areas are being gentrified in, in Eastern and Western Sydney. So, you know, a lot of changes are taking place. You can't stop progress. Let it happen. Uh, don't force clubs to be cut when it means so much to the fans and it means so much to the real kind of uh, rivalry rivalries within the game. So for me, I could see what the Super League was doing and what News Zealand were doing from just the uh, the purely the rugby league perspective and opening up the game, being more innovative. But at the time, I remember thinking it's not like as if they were dinosaurs completely. I mean, they were to some extent, yeah. but they actually they actually had a bold, bold, ballsy move to put four new clubs in in one year. Um, I think that's pretty innovative. Uh, so so anyway, that's where I landed. I was, yeah. I could see both sides of the fence. But to me, I ultimately decided I can't support Super League given uh, the way they're going about doing it, uh, even though the yeah, outcomes exactly. I agreed were things that we all needed to discuss. But the way they went about it really put a lot of people off.
1: Uh, you, uh, teach yeah. your final words on that before we move on. Well, I think you've uh, just brought out something which is very, you know, if I actually think about the point, I did always think, why can't we try the 20 teams for a while and see how it goes? Like yeah. I felt like uh, there was so much thing about, hey, 16 teams is not enough, like it's too much and we need to cut it down, um, get too many, you know, there's too many. And I always thought, well, we've got to give it a go. And, um, and I think we're, you know, in, uh, you know, sort of in tackle one, you are sort of going through the history. I think what a, a lot of people have to realise is that part of the reason why the ARL might have seemed double-minded or, or cautious or sort of telling two stories is, you know, if you are the people that hold both the future of the game plus the history of the game in your hands, you have to think about both sides of the equation. You've got to think about how do we uh, move forward as a, as a sport, but you also have to think how do I retain that legacy that has been created for almost 100 years, which is what the arrow was in, in, a, in a predicament. So I think they're always going to be seen as the dinosaur, even though, um, let's be fair, they, there was more expansion under the 1980s and 1990s than the, what, what there was after the Super League War which I think really shows that actually we've lost innovation uh, due to the Super League, due to this battle. But anyway, we'll yeah. talk about that a bit later as well. So Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And look, let's move on because uh, there's a little bit more to this story that we need to pull out a bit. But uh, look, let's go to tackle number three. And uh, this is the split competition, the birth of Super League. So the birth of Super League. So even though we're talking about 95, we're going to fast forward because the, the next year and a bit was, uh, look, a lot of stuff happened. We're talking about things like, you know, uh, Super League players were banned from representative football, uh, you know, in, in state of origin. So we had a, a situation where we had a 95, uh, in 1995, we had Super League players were removed. Uh, you know, the famous story about the no-name Ben Iken coming into the Queensland squad and Paul Vorden saying, who are you <laughs> kind of thing. Um, yeah, right. You know, that, that came about because he was given an opportunity because uh, the Queensland side was decimated. Obviously a famous victory, a 3-0 series win there to Paul Vorden, uh, you know, that as coach of, of the Queensland Maroons. Uh, a lot of other things happened, but basically 97 is when we had the actual schism occur in its full form. Uh, So we had already had Super League run international competitions the previous year in 96, but in 97, we had a Super League season in Australia as in opposition to the ARL competition. So the Super League was known as the Telstra Cup due to sponsorship by Telstra. It was that breakaway competition. It added, as I said, those eight teams plus Hunter Mariners and Adelaide Rams. Um, the top five teams played a series of knockout finals, and ultimately in that year, uh, a September grand final was played between uh, in Brisbane between Brisbane and Cronulla, ultimately being won by Brisbane um, in front of fifty eight thousand people, which was a ground uh, a ground record actually for that venue at the time, um, and and look. Uh, Ironically, the 1997 Australian Rugby League season was the 90th season of professional rugby league football in Australia and the third season run by the Australian Rugby League. So you're right, we had 95, 96, 97, so the third season run by the ARL at the time. Um, And ultimately, that ARL competition was won by uh, the Newcastle Knights in a uh, a tale finish, uh, you know, one of the best yeah. Grand Finals of all time, and one of the best endings to any Grand Final of all time against the the fancied Manly Warringah Seagulls. Eagles. Uh, you remember that would be the the try scored by Darren Albert with Andrew Johns basically setting it up with only seconds remaining. Uh, and so uh, again, uh, in that in that competition, the, so the, the Newcastle were the winners, but there there were twelve. AOL loyal teams. There were eight in Sydney, two from uh, the rest of New South Wales, and two from Queensland. And they competed for the Optus Cup. So we had Telstra Cup and Optus Cup. And obviously, some of the great memories we have is that uh, embarrassing 95 Grand Final. Uh, I think it was, was it the 95. No, it could have been. Sorry, the 97 Grand Final, where uh, it was that one, I think, where we had the Optus Television uh, opening. <laughs> oh, yeah, that 94.
1: Gig, that was actually 94. Yeah. Was that 94? No. Oh, sorry. Oh, my mistake. Sorry about that. No, no, no. no. Oh, actually, now I'm trying to think about it. again because uh, ninety-four is one of the one is the one where they had the four different clubs uh, doing their little routines. So I think it might have been ninety-five or something. Yeah. Right, right.
0: Yeah, but look. So Super League and ARL were two competitions, and not only that, but we also had a an, uh, state of origin and a competition as well. There, we had a Super League Tri Series which was between New Zealand and New South Wales and Queensland. Each team played each other's once. The best two teams played in the final. And New South Wales beat Queensland 23-22 in that final at ANZ Stadium. So good to see that even with a rebel competition, New South Wales and Queensland games are still, uh, you know, nail-bitingly tight. (laughs) So that's that's good to see that the rugby league never fails us. Um, Internationally, uh, we had... Uh uh now basically. when you say ANZ Stadium,
1: that was the ANZ Stadium the in Bris- Brisbane.
0: The Brisbane ANZ. I have to sorry, I have to yeah.
1: preface that. So because
0: that was the there was another ANZ name for it, stadium. wasn't
1: it? Yeah, Mount Cravat uh, Stadium, whatever yeah, but that's oh, uh that's no the I match. forgot,
0: no, I'm, I'm not
1: sure what it was, yeah. but
0: yeah, um but yeah, you're right. uh and, and look, and so in ninety seven we also had a bunch of international matches. Uh at the end of the season, Australia played a three test series against Great Britain. Uh, Australia won the series two games to one. Uh, they're not, re- although those tests were not recognised by the Australian Rugby League, unfortunately. Um, and also, they played an inaugural ANZAC Test match. In uh, Australia played New Zealand in an ANZAC Test match. Uh, they won the first one, but they lost the return match. Australia did. Um, they'd also put together an Oceania Cup in place of the Pacific Cup, contested by Cook Islands, Fiji, Tonga, New Zealand, Maori, New Zealand 13, and Papua New Guinea, and New Zealand 13 defeated New Zealand, Maori, 20 to 15, in the final of that one. And they also had a World Club Challenge, which uh, which was still to this day being contested, but at the time they expanded it to include all 10 Australian Super League clubs competing against all 12 European clubs. Uh and look, the European clubs were totally outclass. They only won eight out of the 83 total matches. Um, and however, the competition uh, was pretty unpopular in Australia. It lost $6 million due to small crowds and heavy travel expenses. But in the end, the Brisbane Broncos won the final of that competition against the Hunter Mariners, 36-12, at Ericsson Stadium in Auckland. And on top of that, they had a Super League Challenge Cup which was played between the Australian Capital Territory, Northern Territory, South Australia, and Western Australia, and the ACT won that competition against Northern Territory 40 to 14 at ANZ Stadium, Brisbane. And on top of that, they had <laughs> they had the World Nines, which uh, they had started the year early in '96, but so this would be the second year, uh, and they held the Nines as an alternative to the ARL's World 7s. Now, you know that Rugby Union has a 7s competition, which was renowned then as well, and ARL had one as well. Well, this time the and, uh, the Super League decided to do something slightly different to differentiate, so they invented the 9s concept. And the 96 World 9s were held in Suva, Fiji, uh, and the winner of that competition was New Zealand, and the World 9s in 97 were held in Townsville, Queensland and New Zealand won that competition again for the second time in a row. So, Tish, the start, the 97, the split game in its full form, a lot of stuff happening, (laughs) a lot of games on the Super League side. Uh, And I guess that's what you can do with a reduced, uh, you know, competition is that it allows you to then use those players for other kind of satellite competitions and especially ones that are international. So it's interesting to note that, you know, many years later, twenty-five years later, uh, even though we've still got a very long NRL competition uh, proper, we're still we're still talking about improving the international game. We've only really started to do that in the last few years. So it's it's a shame it's taken that long to put our attention on the international game. But Tish, um, first year of Super League. Uh, give me your first impressions. Take your mind back to the end of 97. It was a tumultuous year, to say the least. What did you
1: think of the Super League at that time after what they dished up? Well, um, uh, well, I remember the first uh, State of Origin game, and it wasn't State of Origin, it was the Tri-Series. I think it was New South Wales and Queensland or something, but it was at, uh, and I think it was at Bruce Stadium for some reason. Um, But I just remember the game being uh, quite boring, to be fair. It, well, it wasn't boring. It was. It was still an exciting game, but it wasn't. It didn't have that same state of origin atmosphere that the ARL version of State of Origin had. It didn't. You know, it didn't have that feel or that sense of, hey, this is State of Origin. It felt more like this is. Um, you know, it, there was. I think what the Super League, although the innovations, I mean, that was their big strength, and that's why they were able to play all these games, have all these different type of competitions, um, you know, and all these different types of formats. Um, but what they kind of uh, was missing was kind of the, um, yeah, kind of that history, kind of the the feeling that you have with regular league. Kind of, you know, it kind of felt like this is a commercial plastic competition as to, uh, you know, what we really had. Which was, you know, the the sort of uh, down to earth style of the NRL. So um, I wasn't really uh, that much into it. And I think the other th- the other thing, a lot of the, a lot of these games, uh, you you had to they were on pay television, and I didn't have pay television at the time. So um, you know, for fans, they would have missed a lot of this. And uh, you know, you talk about uh, some of these innovations could have been quite successful. If they were had a bigger media presence, and that could have only happened if they actually broadcast more of this stuff on free to wear television that gave it uh, exposure to these games. So I think I think Super League kind of lost the trick uh, in themselves in a little bit, where you know um, you had to pay to watch, pay to play, play sort of thing. And um, whereas I think uh, you know it, it, it didn't really resonate with fans as much. As what, um, as what the ARL competition did in the past because, you know, I think the ARL competition was a lot more fan-friendly when it came to, you know, how, how the supporters viewed their teams. Um, but, look, a lot of these innovations I, I, I really quite like. Um, the Super – look, you mentioned the Super League Challenge Cup. I've never even heard of that before. So that's actually <laughs> – a really good one. So yeah, that
0: may, that may be totally made up. I don't remember it at all. I just in my, in my research, I just found it. Um, look, the the we'll we'll get into a bit more very very soon. The uh, the aftermath and the the innovations. But uh, just to reiterate uh, your point. I think I think what you were the when you were talking about the lack of kind of uh, feeling in the games that you saw, uh, especially in the representative level. Um, I mean, I think that's. Uh, it's interesting because in '97 you had one of the most emotionally charged grand finals in the ARL ever, uh, with the Newcastle Knights winning their maiden premiership uh, mm. in such in such incredible circumstances against a traditional what has now become a traditional rival, Manly, uh, just down the F3, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so, so really, that was a big deal for them as well. Again, full of emotion. And then, as I said, the the uh, su- the uh, the state of origin game uh game well i mean previously though 95 but you know you'd already established that you know the arl with the loyal the loyalty thing and and all these sort of things that uh there was there was definitely a sense of um you know a lot more feeling was with the loyalists and the traditionalists whereas uh the followers of of the other clubs uh Especially in, at representative levels, some of the games were kind of, yeah, they were seen as devoid of that emotion, at least as much as what we were used to, um, you know, a bit like club rugby or super rugby. But anyway, let's, mm. not, let's not get into that. Um, let's move on to tackle number four. So tackle number four is the reunification of the game. And, you know, not surprisingly, with uh, 22 teams spread across two competitions in 97, crowd attendances and uh, sponsorships uh, were very, very thin on the ground. And basically, teams, a lot of teams, found themselves in significant financial difficulty. Uh, So, on the 23rd of September 1997, so that would be pretty much not long after the grand finals took place. The ARL announced that it was forming a new company to control the competition in 98 and invited Super League clubs to participate. On the 7th October, Rupert Murdoch announced that he was confident that there would be a single competition in 98. And on the 19th of December 97, uh, representatives of, the, of clubs affiliated with the ARL gathered at the Sydney Football Stadium to decide whether to accept News Limited's offer of a settlement. Eventually, they voted in favour of by 36 votes to 4, and as a result, in the following months, the National Rugby League, the NRL as we know it, which is a jointly owned thing by the ARL and News Limit, was formed. The conditions of this merger controversially included an agreement to reduce the number of teams competing in the NRL to 14 by the year 2000. Tish, uh, you know, I do remember that time shortly after the grand final. In fact, no, not long after the grand final, there were already murmurings and rumors about... Uh, the, the, the organisations had had enough and they wanted to get back together and try to find some sort of a compromise. And uh, at that time, I remember there were lots and lots of discussions around let's just keep it the way it is and then have a uh, Super Bowl-type meeting of uh, the best teams at the end and, and, you know, the Super Bowl, the American-style resolution to this, but that ultimately wasn't what they favoured. Uh, obviously, for many reasons, financial being one of them, not a very sustainable approach with such a short, uh, small kind of market here in Australia. Uh, and eventually, they ended up uh, agreeing to the NRL uh, competition being formed. And in '98, and look, you know, my views of, of the of that first year of the competition were that again, it was a bit trepidatious, a bit kind of. You know, it didn't quite feel the same because uh, the yes, the, the teams were coming back together, but there were also some new teams there that weren't there initially in '95. Uh, you know, teams like the Melbourne Storm, um, that <laughs> yeah. that kind of were transplanted in. They were they were the the children of News Limited. You know, weren't being brought in for any other reason, but. It was uh, news limited money that was propping them up. So you know, straight away we had a very uncomfortable marriage, shall we say, an arranged marriage, very difficult one. but Tish, yeah, what were your thoughts about that first year of the
1: NRL? Yeah, well, the 1998 season, um, yeah, it, it's probably one that we might deep dive back in in another day because uh, it was 20 teams again. Um, but as you said, there was no more Western Reds. So, and I think South Queensland crushes, um, you know, they played at Suncorp Stadium, I think for a game and they had less than 2000 people there. So the writing was on the wall for that second um, Queensland team. And look, uh, you know, that that could be another reason why um, there was the merger back again, but it was, it was still, it was like, okay, I mean, it was like, all right, we were all friends in 1992 (laughs) and then uh, we've had all this animosity, we've had these court cases, we've gone back and forth and now we're reconciling after all of that. So it's a little awkward, you know, after you've had all that stuff that's gone, all that water under the bridge and, you know, you've kind of got emotions still running high. Um, I think both sides were just probably, I mean, to be honest, it probably, uh, they're all drained financially but I think they also drained emotionally from just all the, you know, all the different um, problems they had, and now it's time to rebuild, and uh, yeah, and that's what happened. And look, this is the last season of uh, the Balmain Tigers. I think. I think after this, or maybe they might have had another season after this, but um, you know, uh, after 1998, it's kind of a unique season uh, for a lot of the, these teams because you know, uh, from 99 and onwards, we started to reduce teams until we could get to that perfect number and then we decided to expand again.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. and let's not forget, so that, you know, that that first year was basically, uh, you know, as you said, Hunter Mariners and Western Reds and Queensland Crushers, South Queensland Crushers were basically shut down uh, and the following year, uh, and obviously with Melbourne Storm, there being the additional team as well. So that took it to 20 teams, as you said. And by the end of that 98 season, I should say, uh, we had also closing down of the Adelaide Rams. And uh, then the ARL closed down the Gold Coast Chargers, who at the time actually, ironically, were one of the few clubs to actually make a profit during the Super League <laughs> War. So think about what's happened. We, we, then, we then had to wait. Several more years until we had uh, we had the Gold Coast Titans return to the league. So again, another failed Gold Coast uh, team, but this time at a time where they were actually doing well, ironically. So you know you can't you can't catch a trick if you're the Gold Coast uh, rugby rugby league fan in the Gold Coast. But yeah, look. um, Look, we're not going to get into the history of the NRL because we could, you know, and obviously after that, there was a lot of rationalisation. But really the point of this was to talk about the Super League and ARL war. Uh, And look, let's move on to the aftermath. So here's tackle number five, the aftermath. All right, so in this tackle, we're going to talk about, look, despite the fact that there was no doubt that there was a lot of damage done to the game uh, from the Super League war, there are a few things that, you know, that maybe we should talk about very briefly uh, some innovations that it left behind. So the first was the Anzac test between Australia and New Zealand. Again, that was introduced by Super League. There was some controversy at the time. I remember with the, the use of the word Anzac, uh, people didn't want to associate a game with the war, war kind of, uh, you know, didn't want to associate sports players with soldiers, etc. cetera. Um, and uh, you know, Eventually, they did drop the name Anzac from the Anzac test, but then they brought it back in 2004. And now we've been played, it was played annually until 2017. So, again, that's one of the things that it was a good innovation. It's a shame that it's still not happening now in the same format, but uh, definitely a great innovation. Night grand finals are another thing that the Super League uh, definitely put forward. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the, you know, again, this is one of the good things that you get when you focus on trying to. Uh, Ma- maximize TV ratings and things like that. Um, I think what you you'll see though is that if you look at the history of the NRL, it is toyed with night grand finals, dusk grand finals. The only thing it hasn't done is pre-breakfast grand finals, because mm. uh, it's tried everything to try and maximize what's the best day. Is it Saturday? Is it a Sunday? You know, I'm I'm kind of on the fence about wh- which is the best anyway, because you know a twilight grand final. Uh, kind of does allow you to continue some of those old traditions of that grand final Sunday barbecue thing with your mates Mm. over. I'm not sure what's going to happen this year with COVID-19, but, you know, maybe everyone's (laughs) going to have a virtual, uh, you know, virtual kind of uh, barbecue. Um, Yeah. Look, so that's a good innovation as well. Uh, Video referees, again, Super League introduced those uh, and a bunch of rule changes such as, um, the zero tackle rule which i'm not a fan of in in many ways so that's one thing i don't particularly like and packing scrums 20 meters in from touch rather than 10 meters in from touch so again that means that you're you're opening up both sides of the field uh to in to to good uh, attacking play um but that rule has changed now as well by the way
1: oh, you could, it? you're allowed to pack the, yeah you're allowed to pack the scrum if you've got the feed you're allowed to pack wherever you like now Oh, right.
0: Okay. I didn't realize that. My mistake. Well,
1: yeah. oh, there you go. Oh, uh, no, no, it's, uh, yeah, but, that's, uh, but that's, uh, that's just came this year. We've had two rounds of it, and uh, and we've had uh, no no rugby league now. So
0: Yeah, and another change that happened actually by the ARL, which was now now been adopted by the NRL, is the 40-20 rule. Uh, yeah. Look, there are a bunch of other things that happen, uh, and I'll, I'll just run through some of them, and I'll get your thoughts on some of them before we uh, r- wrap up. But look uh, you know South Sydney obviously the rationalization part of what happened with the NRL was a direct result of the super League war and which was all really all about reducing uh, well it wasn't really all about reducing Sydney teams it was about the financial aspect and pay TV obviously but in order to achieve that aim they needed to make sure that they had reduced the number of teams to make it more palatable. And ultimately, they wanted to cut the number of Sydney teams. That led to South Sydney being kicked out of the comp, but then it returned triumphantly. So that's I'm glad that happened. Uh, but then you saw the demise of rugby league in heartland areas. So, you know, South Queensland Crushers uh, in in Brisbane. Uh, again, to this day, there's only one Brisbane team. Uh, Western Suburbs Magpies are gone. Balmain Tigers are gone, in their in their in the traditional form. I mean. Uh, St. George Dragons, Illawarra Steelers, North Sydney Bears, gone, gone, gone uh, from the Sydney landscape. In its place, we've got West Tigers as a joint venture or merger, St. George Illawarra Dragons. And one that has come and gone, uh, the Northern Eagles, Manly in North Sydney, uh, came and went within a year or two. Uh, You know, so again, that's all a direct result of the Super League war. Uh, unfortunately, another direct result of the rationalisation of the competitions was our uh, – this is the one that hurts the most if you're a true rugby league fan, is uh, getting rid of Perth and Adelaide uh, or a presence of rugby league in those key outposts, uh, especially Perth. I mean, that really is a killer because uh, that Western Reds team had so much promise and uh, every time a, a NRL club since then has gone – to Perth, we've just got massive crowds there, a lot of support, a lot of people are desperate to see rugby league there, uh, in particular a team that they can call their own. And also the consolidation of growth in of the game in New Zealand uh, probably is a direct result of news of, of what happened in you know supporting the Auckland Warriors uh, and a bunch of other things. So Tish, what are your views in general about uh, the legacy of the Super League war?
1: Yeah, well, look, there's a lot there. I mean, uh, you talk about those traditional clubs. I think that's kind of the biggest loss that we've had. Um, 360-odd years of history uh, kind of just wiped out uh, because of this consolidation. And, you know, that was, I think, what Ken Arthurson and John Quayle in the ARL uh, originally, that that kind of was on their mind. And... um, You know, the South Sydney thing was very sad, obviously, when they left. uh, But it actually showed the power of the fans when they actually uh, went on strike and marched the streets to get South Sydney back. And uh, I think Phil Gould has talked about this, you know, and I don't think Phil Gould is, uh, he hasn't really been associated with South Sydney. He's actually coached their rivalry. But he said that, you know, previously we've, uh, we've gotten rid of clubs, you know, like Newtown and so forth. Nobody marks the streets, but for South Sydney they did. I think I think that kind of shows the Super League war did do something in terms of fans and kind of um, I think it kind of when the when the NRL came back and their clubs are back sort of thing, I think everybody was kind of hopeful that, you know, we've moved on from this and this could never happen again sort of thing. And I uh, and I think that, that that demonstration kind of showed that there was uh, there was a sense of hope, um, at least in the South Sydney um, Thing, and it was taken away when they were out of the the, the you know the, the the uh the competition rule changes. Uh, look, you know all these rule changes. I mean now rule changes is almost like every year there is always minor tweaks to what they do. Um, the video referee um, plays a big part in the '99 Grand Final, but also in um you know in in regular league now. And uh, you know some people are questioning whether that is there or not. Um, I think the real interesting thing about the aftermath is um, you go back to 1992 and and you talk about that report, the Bradley report that had the the 12-team and the 14-team competition. Well, after the Super League War, we had a 14-team competition at one stage, and it's expanded since then without rationalisation. So I kind of feel that kind of the biggest loss, another big loss that um, the Super League War has done I think it's actually taken away the innovation that was in rugby league. Um, you know, if you look at the twenty years before the war started, think about the number of new teams that were um, experimented with and uh, were successful. And then you take twenty years from uh, the end of the war, you realise that the um, you know that the real growth of and expansion actually happened before the before the war, not after it. So that kind of shows you what type of predicament it came in. Um, in 2012, this is a, a, another little point because a lot of people said that, hey, the Super League war was great for the players. And yes, player wages did go up, um, but sort of in an unhealthy way. It wasn't until 2012 that, uh, that the NRL ha- had a minimum wage for its players. So even though the Super League War did help, uh, you know, sort of play contracts, you know, there were still basic uh, things in their contract that wasn't there, like insurances and a minimum wage for not the elites, but all the other people that need to be involved in the sport as well. So I think it did show that, um, yes, there were many, maybe some good benefits to it, but ultimately there was was a lot of – it did more bad than good is probably what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, uh, look – well, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? That we, if you look at on many of the metrics of success that at the time I remember, uh, you know, things like uh, just the general feeling in the game, the, the the growth of the game, the amount of money that was coming into the game, it's relative standing compared to some of the other sports in Australia, you know, the mm. popularity of the game, all sorts of things like that. Yeah. Uh, there is no reason to suggest that, that, like I said, there's no reason to suggest that the game was being run by dinosaurs at that time. Uh, there were definitely some innovations, and it's easy to see that that there were, that, like, on the one hand, there were some innovations that are still with us to this day, and so there were some benefits with having a bit of a more innovative approach for sure. But the costs of having those innovations, I mean, we just yep. rattled off a few of the costs. You know, the lack of expansion into Perth and Adelaide is a travesty. Mm. I mean, to think that we went from Sydney only to Canberra to Brisbane to Newcastle to Auckland to, you know, cross transnational, you know, in 1995, this is 25 years ago to this day uh, that we're talking about this um And we never had, we never gave that expansion, expanded competition a chance to show what it can do. We never gave, uh, you know, even in a split competition, as I just said, during that split competition, the Gold Coast Chargers were making a profit. Had they been left to their devices, who knows? Mm. We may not be talking about, you know the oh, i wouldn't quite say failure but i guess the 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 broken promises of the gold coast titans as a franchise yeah. maybe we'll be, we'll be talking about a successful chargers club years down the track who knows we don't know um, the way that rationalization occurred in a hurry meant that decisions had to be made based on criteria that you know to be quite honest uh, obviously didn't really think very you didn't really take into account a lot of the things that really matter to fans. Mm. And, and that's why we saw the March for South Sydney. And that's why we saw the triumphant return. And, uh, you know, but then again, this is, we play that history game where we say, well, um, you know, if it wasn't for this happening, then we wouldn't have had Russell Crowe come into the game or this happened or that happened. Well, that's true. We, we don't really know what would have happened if things had been left to their own devices. But what we do know is that because of that drastic schism in the game, uh, the, the game has never been the same again. And in many ways, you're right, it has actually become more conservative than it was at the time when we had some pretty uh, forward-looking administrators who weren't just looking at, at the bottom line and of running it like a business, who were actually running it as a game. And uh, and we're, we're very cognizant of of the role of the clubs, but also of the grassroots as well at the time. Um, mm. But on that note, let's move on to the final bit, which is about the future. So tackle number six is about the great rivalry lives on. All right. So simple question for tackle number six. Tish, what does the future hold for this great rivalry between the ARL and the Super League? Is Do we still feel the effects of it to this day? Are we – and where does the future hold for
1: this rivalry? Well, um, what the current situation with COVID-19 has shown um, is that, uh, you know, prior to this – prior to the Super League war, you know, the Rugby League uh, itself actually had a bit of a um, cash-in-the-bank reserves in place – but now we don't have any reserves, <laughs> right? And I think a lot of it has to do with the amount of money and time that was spent on the Super League war and um, and, and sort of the lack. A- a- okay, so uh, I suppose we didn't really talk about this, but it, I'm going to bring it up now. But because the NRL is kind of half Super League, half ARL, and they're kind of joint, and that was a, a big... Um, that was actually a big... Uh, ownership model up until when the ARL commission has now started, which is kind of still in play a little bit, uh, which kind of still has a bit of Super League elements there. But because there was uh, half the game was owned by a a, uh, television company, um, I I think Rugby League was at a disadvantage when it was then trying to negotiate television deals because one of the parties that was trying to negotiate the deal is the exact party that owns a part of the game as well. And uh, of course, the, uh, David Galp was also announced as the as the uh, as the CEO of uh, the NRL initially, and he would previously been the lawyer for Super League. So, um, you know, so there was, there, I think the game actually lost a lot of money and lost a lot of ground in that respect, because I think if they would have got a fair deal for how much the game is worth on television for all those years, um, you know, right now, uh. Players, we, we might not be talking about an early start to the competition because there's enough money in rugby league to actually sustain it while it's on a you know hibernation period. I think that's kind of the thing. Plus, you also see uh, with the various you know Channel Nine um, having an opinion, Fox still having a different opinion. You know the journalists from the Sydney Morning Herald versus the journalists from News Limited. News Limited, there is still an underlying rivalry between between the different factions that were, I suppose, the you know backroom players that were initially involved in creating the war over Rugby League. Um, I think that's kind of uh, also still there, and I think that's going to carry on for, for quite a long time. Uh, so I think all that is there. Uh, it's funny, when it comes to the club and the fan level, though, uh, you know, you kind of you kind of try to remember, okay, of Panthers, did I play Super League or did I play RL? Oh, I played Super League. Oh yeah, that's right. And you know, um, you know, the Bulldogs, where were they? And I, yeah, oh yeah, they were in Super League as well. But then Parramatta was in the NRL. I think that kind of has kind of gone away. That you know, like us versus them in terms of the club land. But I think certainly from the you know the uh, yeah the news newspapers and all that kind of stuff, I think that that rivalry still sort of lives on there and I think it will continue to do that.
0: Yeah, look, I think the people still remember those clubs. Mm. I mean, twenty five yeah. years is a long time, but it's also not in uh, in in terms of the generational kind of support of rugby league. Um, I mean I certainly do remember and but I won't necessarily, you know, uh disadvantage or or kind of uh, uh, look poorly on on clubs that were uh, in in the the Super League or supporting Super League, so you know teams like the Warriors, etc. I want them. I want the best for them because it's good for the game ultimately. Yeah, so, of course. So to me, I, I would, and I think a lot of fans would be like that. I think a lot of fans are yeah. over, are over the uh, the split. Uh, but yeah. I think you're right. The the way I think that this rivalry lives on is in that in in its subtleties, in the nuances of. The power structures that still exist in the game, despite the fact that we've got independent uh, administrators, independent commissioners, etc., uh, we do still have a very strong uh, influence from the media perspective. We definitely do still have, uh, you know, uh, as you said, the fact that we have been disadvantaged for so long, up until the the implementation of the independent commission, sort of suggests that, uh, you know, the financial difficulties that we're finding ourselves in today. And in fact, you know, uh, as a bit of a timely kind of news announcement, you know, this week as we go to air, uh, the CEO of the NRL, Todd Greenberg, has stood down. And we're, we're going to talk about that in a future episode. But but basically, look, that, that sort of, and, and part of that was because of the financial mismanagement of, uh, you know, of of the game of the NRL and, uh, and and at least that's that's the way it's been portrayed in the media uh, is that there were some uh, the fact that we had to we had to resort to begging the government for for money we had to resort to begging the government to uh, loosen the restrictions on social distancing measures so that we could restart the competition the only reason we're doing that is because we ran out of money a lot sooner than say the AFL has because a lot of it has been, you know, we, we've been co- over-investing in the clubs. We've been over-investing in the, at the top level of, uh, you know, the administrative side of the NRL head office. And so all those things put together suggest that, you know, yes, the Super League war is over and most people have forgotten about it, but the legacy lives on in the way that the 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 shoddy business operations, uh, the you know, the still are in existence, uh, the way that we're still beholden to, uh, we have been beholden to TV companies in the past, which means that we've undersold the value of our game when it comes to TV rights, which puts us in a difficult financial position now. Uh, and and here we are. So we are still feeling, uh, I guess an analogy I'm going to use is that the earthquake happened you know in uh in nineteen ninety five uh the rumblings were there beforehand, the major schism occurred, the major earthquake, but we have still felt the aftershocks since then on a regular basis, and we're still seeing the after effects you know the 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 buildings are still in ruins, some of them some of them have been rebuilt, but some of them are still in ruins, and they're still there for us fans to see as a reminder of uh the legacy of the ARL and super League war and rivalry and Tish on that note I think it's time to wrap this up I'll leave it to you thank you very every every everyone for listening thank you very much Tish for your contribution uh it's been a big one but it's been worth it because uh, uh, you're not going to get a bigger rivalry than the ARL and super League so uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> there we go so Tish over you yep. wrap this up
1: all right, well, thank you, Dr. T. And, look, thank you for all the research you've put into this episode. Uh, and, look, I'd like to thank everybody out there for listening to this episode. Um, you know, the ARL versus Super League rivalry, it's in the bank. Uh, join us next time as we talk about the news about Rugby League. But that's all that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Titian Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.